0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the 2022-2023 Ammerman Family Lecture. Established by Andrew Ammerman, class of 1968, and his mother, Mrs. Josephine Ammerman, and in memory of Andrew's father and brother, this lecture brings to the community speakers of national renown who have important perspectives on significant issues of the day and the capacity to help young people understand the relevance of such issues in their lives. This year's Ammerman Family Lecturer is Dr. Dacher Keltner. Dr. Keltner is the founding director of the Greater Good Science Center and a professor of psychology at the University of California, Berkeley. One of the world's foremost emotion scientists, Dacher has over 200 scientific publications and six books, including his most recent entitled, *Awe: The New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life. He's also written for many popular outlets, ranging from the New York Times to Slate, and was an advisor for Pixar's Inside Out. Please join me in
1: welcoming Dr. Dacher Keltner. All right, thank you Will. Uh, what a beautiful place. So good to have dinner with you guys, our smaller group, and to be at your beautiful campus and see uh, an audience full of people who give me a lot of hope for the future. Um, so tonight what I'd like to talk about is awe, uh, which I think is uh, a transformative emotion, uh, very important to cultivate in these times, and tell you a variety of stories about this very important emotion. Um, this work really begins with uh, a story uh, that we'll refer to, which is Inside Out. And in 2010, I got called by Pete Docter, who's in the left, and he's a director at, in, at Pixar. And he called me up and he said, "You know, hey Docter, you know I'm." Uh, thinking about making a movie on emotions, and you teach emotions at UC Berkeley. Um, And I I honestly thought, and I have to confess, that he wanted to use my voice in the films, uh, which turned out not to be the case. Uh, And he decided to really consult, as he always does, uh, scientists to get a sense of what we know about the human mind and emotion. Uh, And he brought me down to Pixar for the, the five years that they built up the film Inside Out. And the first question that he asked me is really an old question about the mind, which is we've got five emotions, right, in this character Riley uh, that govern how she reasons and acts in the world. And if you were to add add any emotion to this film, which one would it be? And I was like, well, you know, the answer obviously is awe. Uh, Awe, and I'll have you guys talk about it uh, with your friends nearby, uh, many people believe it's one of the basic states of the human mind, from Descartes, to Einstein, to Jane Goodall, the primatologist, uh, Albert Einstein said, the most beautiful experience we can have is the mysterious or awe. It is the fundamental emotion which stands at the cradle of true art and science. Awe gives rise to so many wonderful things uh, in the human experience. Well, Pete Doctor didn't listen to me, and alas, that's what we got for Inside Out. Transformative uh, movie. Um, but I do have a sense that awe make, make it an appearance in the sequel to Inside Out that's coming out pretty soon. So stay tuned. Um, So awe, um, and in the Q&A, you won't ask me about awe. You'll all have questions about Inside Out. That's OK. So so awe is the emotion that we feel when we encounter vast mysteries that we can't currently understand with our current knowledge. It's just when we're amazed by things that transcend our understanding of the world. Before we get into kind of a definition of awe and then think about why it's important to us, just think about a a recent experience you've had of encountering something vast, mysterious, that you can't make sense of. Just take a moment, share with your neighbor, what was a recent experience you've had of awe, right? Uh, Just talk for a minute about something that, that, All right. Who could share one of the stories of awe? It's actually a very old tradition in writing about the mysterious in life. Who had an experience of awe that they're willing to share? Just sort of, or just shout out like what, what was it about? Everybody's pointing at their friend like, she's got to tell what she did, right? You know? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Extreme talent. Nice. How about up here? Who's got one up here? Anybody have a noteworthy story of awe? We'll sort of yeah. Time can be pretty spectacular. Nice. Very interesting, awe experience. <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right. <laughs> right up there. That's you. Hi. <laughs> um, I was walking around campus and I saw this tree
0: covered in burrs.
1: And it was just a beautiful looking thing. Tree. Nice. Trees are mind blowing if you study the new science of trees. Um, So really interesting range of experiences. Very quickly, awe has a very interesting cultural history. Um, The indigenous traditions, 500 million indigenous people from around the world, some of the most resilient people, deep traditions of awe and their reverence for nature. Uh, This is a particular kind of painting from the Huichol tradition in Mexico. As awe becomes transformed by culture and history, uh, from really the, the, la- the birth of Christ till about the a- age of enlightenment for 1,500 years. It really is a religious emotion. It figures very prominently in a lot of the great religious tra- texts from the Bhagavad Gita to St. Paul on the road to Damascus, where he has his conversion experience as painted by Caravaggio. Very religious emotion. Uh, if you read or are interested in history, uh, awe becomes transformed, Uh, In the Age of Enlightenment, around 1700 to 1750, science, industry, technology, capitalism takes over, and awe becomes secularized. It becomes a psychological experience, something that Edmund Burke wrote about in our responses to color and light and trees and the sky uh, and ordinary perceptual experience. And then it really is transformed yet again uh, with the Age of Romanticism and Ralph Waldo Emerson One of our most important American writers who really wrote about it in terms of music and nature. Awe is always changing. So let me tell you a little bit about the science of awe, uh, and then we'll get to four or five lessons or questions that I really want you guys to take with you as uh, young people who are going to change the world. Um, Starting in 2010, uh, for about 15 years, Uh, My lab and a lot of labs around the world have studied awe in 30 different countries from countries as different as Mexico and India and Poland and Germany and China and Japan, really uh, stirred an awe science. And I wanna give you some highlights of, and I was talking, uh, you know, Will in fact asked this question like, how can you capture a a fleeting emotion in the lab and see what it does? And this will give you a flavor of the science that led to inside out. Uh, Few big things. Number one, awe is much more common than you might imagine. In different parts of the world, people, like you nicely said, are feeling it. Good to see you up there. Yeah. uh, uh, People are feeling it very regularly uh, in listening to people, experiencing music, uh, thinking about a big idea, being in nature and the like. We find about two to three experiences of awe a week. It's not rare or rarefied. You don't have to go to the Great Barrier Reef to feel awe. It's right around here, right? That's important. Secondly, awe, I teach human happiness at Berkeley for 25 years. Awe, there's there's almost nothing better for you uh, than getting a little bit of awe once a week, five to 10 minutes, and I'll talk about that. Um, What we know, a little burst of awe, less self-focus, greater vagal tone, That image with the blue, with the yellow, that's the vagus nerve. It's the largest bundle of nerves in the nervous system, controls your heart. If you have elevated vagal tone, your heart is in good shape. Awe elevates vagal tone. Awe is good for creativity, less stress, greater well-being. You have a sense you have more time in the day with a little burst of awe. Uh, And it's good for your immune system as measured in the inflammation response that I can talk to you about uh, in Q&A. Um, and then very interestingly, uh, this is fascinating. The more you practice awe, the more you find a realm of awe that matters to you, the deeper it gets, the more happiness it brings to you. Just got an example of that, of something that fascinates you, and the more you learn about it, the more it matters for you? Yeah? Yeah, if you're in music, You know, you think you might burn it, but the deeper you go, the richer it is. Who's got another example? The more you practice something you're passionate about, the deeper it gets. Yeah? Ceramics. Ceramics, right? Spectacularly interesting and sophisticated. So fascinating. Some sources of happiness, the more you you do the thing, the more you eat the chocolate cake, the less pleasurable it becomes. Uh, When you buy things, they're pleasurable initially. They become less pleasurable over time. Awe is the opposite the richer it gets. Good for mind and body, deepens with practice. And then finally, before I get to our lessons, um, if I were to ask you, where do you think the average citizen of the world finds awe? What would you say? What would you have guessed? Nature? Nature? What else? Death? Death? Interesting. Glad you said. What else? Yeah. Rhythm? That's interesting, you know, moving together. Any other hypotheses? Yeah, music, Music. right on. Um, So here's what we did, and this will give you a feel of the science. Um, We, there's a worry in psychological science. This is a pretty diverse group of people. It's great, it's the future, it's now. A lot of science is based on largely Western European groups of people. So I wouldn't want to make generalizations about those kinds of samples. So what we did, and we were actually inspired by William James, who was an American psychologist. When he tried to understand the emotional qualities of spirituality, he listened to people's stories. He gathered a bunch of stories and figured out why we feel spirit. And so what we did in that spirit is gathered stories from 26 countries around the world And we had speakers of 20 languages at UC Berkeley translate them. We classified them. And this is what, uh, around the world, people find awe in, the sources of awe, this very powerful emotion so good for us. Um, Other people, their kindness, courage, overcoming, and extraordinary skill, right? An Olympic athlete or somebody who overcomes a real uh, real, uh, problem in life. Nature, collective, one of you said rhythm, very astutely. Collective effervescence, visual art, music, big ideas. Who's had a big idea that's given them all? What's an idea that gave you all? Yeah. DNA, DNA, the the language of life. is mind-blowing. What's another big idea that gives you all? What? Evolution. Evolution. Yeah, that for us to be right here, billions of adaptations had to shape the genetic code of this mammal to have this conversation. Um, Big ideas, spirituality, and then I'm glad one of you brought it up. You are young. But what's striking is awe also accompanies the cycle of life. When people are born, when children are born, it's mind blowing. When people pass away, it's mysterious and sometimes awe inspiring. The eight wonders of life. So um, I want to tell you uh, a little story um, with a little bit of, you know, here's what you can use this science for um, as a guide to a, what you might call a, your philosophy of life or your meaningful life or happiness, right? Uh, which I've been teaching. I know you have a positive psychology class here. Um, it's interesting. I, um, when I wrote the book Awe, um, the reason that I wrote the book, I was doing the science, um, and, and then my younger brother passed away, which was a deeply disorienting experience. And he and I had done everything together, played all the sports together. We kind of had this wild childhood together, roamed around in the countryside in the mountains, died very early. Uh, and like a lot of Americans, a lot of Americans are struggling with anxiety and depression. I was in a tough state in grief. And I went in search of all, right? I do this science. I know how to find it. i would lost sight of it. Uh, and I went in search. Uh, and it really aligns with, I think, the practical wisdom you can take from this science. Uh, it's a challenging time for people your age. You know, stress is higher than it was 30 years ago. You work harder than people did 40 years ago. Uh, The economics is always shifting. We've got climate crises, right? A lot of young people feel climate dread, so much so that it's now a clinical diagnosis, right? So your generation really faces stresses that my dad's generation definitely did not think about, and my generation started to. And I think one of the things we can do is we can go find awe. So lesson number one is to really seek out moral beauty. Really get close to people who inspire you morally, whose stories of courage and overcoming, and sacrifice, and you know, extraordinary skill, imaginative wisdom, and the like, really move you. Who has an example of somebody who's someone of moral beauty to them that sort of inspires them to things? Yeah, Victor Wood. Uh huh. Uh huh. Nice. Another example. Who's somebody that inspires you? Yeah. My dad. Your dad. Yeah. Sometimes parents are up to the task, right? Um, one more. Yeah. Your best friend. Your best friend. How so? She's just super funny and she makes you laugh. And there, there she is. <laughs> um, so as you move through life, you know. Um, There's a lot of Instagram envy and cynicism and so forth, but go stay near people who really inspire you in terms of their stories of courage and overcoming and really kind of use that as a guide to your life. When uh, my brother passed away, I was lucky enough to go to kind of the the ashram and the area that Gandhi had worked. I saw where he wrote. You know, Gandhi's life story is a story for everybody of, of, you know, leading a nonviolent march that overthrew colonialist rule, that inspired the civil rights movement, that inspired other things. That is an inspiring story. And just to be around it right, changed uh, my view of things. Um, And this is true of um, just everybody around us. One of you mentioned your dad. This is one of the stories that we got from a, uh, a young participant in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 1973 at my cousin's restaurant. My father worked there as a bartender. I was there and my best friend from high school walked in. He is black and I am white. And I I hadn't seen him in five years. I embraced him. We began to talk. A guy at the bar said to my father, how can you allow your son to have an N-word as a friend? My father looked at this guy and loudly told him to get out of his bar and never come back. I've never been more proud of my father, who was 59 years old. A lot of moral beauty around us to lift us up. And the science is really quite remarkable that just encounters with these people who inspire us through their courage and sacrifice and their speaking truth to power uh, activate vagal tone, parts of the brain, oxytocin, and they make us reflexively share and cooperate and get along with other people, right? It's contagious. So really think about those people, maybe a dad may maybe a Gandhi-type figure, a Malala, Whomever it is, just remind yourself and keep their, their lives part of yours. Um, second insight through awe is, has to do with the natural world. And when um, my brother passed away, he and I had done a lot of backpacking, a lot of river swimming. I, we both grew up in California, you know, lots of nature around us, very lucky. And I just went out out into the the mountains and so forth just to find myself again. Um, And the second insight, and this is important for you guys um, facing our climate crises, is uh, we are nature. We are nature. To think that we're not a natural form in ecosystems collaborating and influencing other species is part of the reason we have the exploitation of nature to begin with. And that came through experiences of nature. Dr. Yuria Salidwin at the United Nations and Berkeley writes about this concept called ecological belonging, which is an indigenous concept, thousands of years old, predates Western scientific views. And it just reveals that we are nature. We're part of ecosystems. All living beings, maybe through DNA, are animated by a life force that we feel And out of that recognition comes reverence, right? That we have to protect these natural systems because we're part of them. Um, This was what Ralph Waldo Emerson got to. I love this quote. Um, In the woods, we return to reason and faith. There I feel that nothing can befall me in life, no disgrace, no calamity, that nature cannot repair. Standing on the bare ground, My head bathed by the blithe air and uplifted into infinite space, all mean egotism vanishes. Right? He just talks about how nature heals us. How many of you felt strengthened by an experience in nature? It's just like built into our DNA to get stronger in our relationship to nature. Um, Emerson, if you really want to dig into this, I know. One of you at dinner tonight studies environmental studies or science. It's a great major in college. A lot of good work coming out of that major. Uh, Emerson, very influential in that, really felt that some of our biggest ideas come out of relating to nature, like the idea that we're all interconnected. You see that in ecosystems right away, right? So our minds are really shaped by nature. Uh, we did a nice laboratory study, or not a really a laboratory, but we took uh, undergraduates, near these trees, the eucalyptus grove at Berkeley. They stood right in near the trees. They looked up into the trees. uh, And then in the control condition, they're in the same place, but they looked up at this rather ugly science building. Uh, And what we did is we had, we gathered a bunch of self-report measures. The trees shut down that mean egotism that Emerson writes about when we're mean and snarly and self-focused, self-critical. Just a little minute or two of trees made people feel less self-important, less entitled. They needed less money to do the study. And we actually had a stranger walking by who was part of the study drop their backpack and pens spilled out. And the person feeling awe out of the trees helped pick up more pens. So it makes you kinder. Um, and indeed, you know, I don't want to bore you, but uh, being around nature is good for your mind and body. It is just one of the best uh, uh, demonstrated effects of um, how context influences our, 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 our nervous system, just walking in the woods, being in healing forests, better cardiovascular profile, reduced inflammation. Um, how many people do you think went to national parks in the United States last year? What would you guess? 30 million? Seven million, how many, 500, 360 million. It's more than NFL, uh, NASCAR and and the baseball combined. It's the major shared experience in the United States uh, and we know that that is very good. It's healthcare indeed. All right, lesson number three is from awe is um, find, one of you nicely said rhythm. Who said rhythm? Really interesting, right? Find who you have rhythm with. Find your collective joy. Find, like, who is your group of people that you like to move in unison with, that you share a common purpose, that you do things together that give you what this sociologist Emil Durkheim called collective effervescence or joy, right? Um, So there's a rich literature on this. Uh, It's an amazing science of how vital awe is to our sense of common purpose. Um, When people dance together, they synchronize in their brains and their physiologies, and they actually are able to tolerate more pain. They get physically more robust. Uh, People who are, do we have any serious sports fans here? or teams that you follow, there's actually a lot of research now showing that you know, if you're, when you're all watching the game, you all have the same physiological profile, and it gives you this sense of wonder and awe at how marvelous sports are. Uh, public spaces, politics, recreation. Find your, who you share a rhythm with and a collective joy. Um, there uh, are really neat studies. Uh, One of my favorites, and just to give you a feel for the different kind of social sciences, um, uh, and this is something that maybe Will would have you guys debate in a class, but it's an interesting question. Um, The question was this. Are sports fanatics, is your love of a sports team, like real love, is it a religion? It's kind of an interesting question, right? So the sociologist uh, followed... Pittsburgh Steeler fans, uh, who are voted by many sports writers as the most impassioned of any sports team in the country, and he he started to make the case that Pittsburgh Steeler fans show this collective effervescence of religion in how they behave at football games. So, you know, what they do is they have exalted feelings. They sort of show high forms of emotion like you would see. They all uh, share their attention at great plays on the field, They have these symbols, like the terrible towel. Do you guys know what that is? It's this towel that they wave around like we would a religious uh, sacrament or the like. Uh, They have a sense of the transcendent self, their stealer nation. The point being, and it's actually one of the joys of awe, is it brings into focus how sports is a wonderful source of deep meaning, right? So find, be it politics or dance or music or the like, find your place uh, of collective joy. We, um, to test this in the lab, we did one of the weirdest studies I've ever done in my lab, which is our laboratory, was a river where students rafted uh, down this river, the American River. We put cameras on, the the GoPro cameras on the the rafts. We videotaped them, like these students right here. Uh, And we had 80 students from very poor high schools in California Right? Most of them hadn't been camping, hadn't seen a big green space like you guys have on this campus. Um, and then we had 20 veterans. And veterans in the United States, uh, a lot of veterans have twice the rates of depression and anxiety. Um, the highest suicide rate in the United States is young veterans, right? It's just coming back traumatized from Iraq or Afghanistan, very hard adjustment to, to life. Take them out on a, a day rafting. And what's amazing about these shared, vigorous sports is you become collective and effervescent. They all start showing similar physiologies. They're all developing rituals of cheering together. They start to merge uh, on the rafts as we do in other kinds of sports. And what we found is just a half day on the raft reduced stress in our high schoolers. They were happier with life. And then for our veterans you see a 30% drop in PTSD, right? PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, very hard to move around in veterans, and here just a a day outside uh, really changed these individuals' lives. Um, This is a veteran. I really like how he puts it. Looking up at the star-spattered sky, I thought about the universe and how infinite it is. It makes me, what I do, feel less important but the opportunity of what I could do more powerful and lightweight, somehow putting life into perspective. Um, all right, two final recommendations is to, that come out of the search for awe is really take music seriously. Um, there's a lot of amazing new work on music as a way that we learn about what matters to us what cultures we care about, what moral principles we care about. Um, uh, Music, 80,000 years old, very old in human evolution, song, early instrumentation, sort of we are this musical species that coordinates action, synchronizes our bodies, helps us become part of groups. Um, And importantly, uh, a lot of work with respect to awe is showing um, music is where we find Parts of our identity, what we really care about, right? Who's got an example of how a musical experience, maybe of awe, made you sense something about your identity, taught you something important? Who's been at a concert or followed a certain musician and suddenly they're like, this is what I care about? It's amazing just the collective movement of a dance troupe or a musical group will give you all. Another example of how a musical experience brought you into contact with what you care about in life. So Yeah. Yeah, and you guys, you guys will all head off into college in your young 20s, and you'll be young people making your way in the world and see a lot of music. And one of, what this is saying is that music that you will gravitate to will have lots of deep themes about what you care about, whether you care about, you know, kindness or fighting justice and the like. Finally, and I know you're talking to Will, you're learning about this, is um, awe, our experiences of awe really, Ask raise questions about what we think is spiritual, what we think is our soul. 150 years ago, people talked about our soul as what animates you in life? What's your core sense of meaning here on earth, right? Awe often gets people to those questions. Forty percent of Americans, when they go out into nature, feel through awe that they're encountering some spiritual force, right? Something in life. We don't know, but it opens them up to those kinds of questions. So embrace, uh, and I won't tell you about that part of the brain. Um, awe raises questions about why am I here? What is my soul? Right? What If you're interested in spirituality, what do I consider to be a life-animating force in the world? Uh, awe raises those questions. When I went in search of awe, I'm not a religious person, not really a spiritual person. So it was fascinating to have experiences and talk to ministers and the like about what do, how do we make sense of these things as the hominid species that we are. So why awe? Because it's really good for you. It's good for your bodies. It's good for your hearts. It's good for your immune systems. It's good for your creativity. We have research showing people do better on science tests after awe. Uh, it's good for the natural environment. It's good for people who feel a lot of awe consume less, they are uh, emitting fewer uh, carbon emissions. Um, So here's what I want to end with and then we'll open it up for Q&A. And I think they're really, you guys are at the right age to be asking these questions Uh, because awe is really about mysteries and not answers. Um, And so I'll just ask you these questions and I hope fragments of them stay with you as you move through your life. And just think about them. So the first is, who are your sources of moral beauty? Who really moves you as humans or non-humans, right? Um, Who is it? Is it Jane Goodall, the primatologist? Is it Martin Luther King? Just be open to that question. Like, wow, who really has something to teach me about life? Listen to them. Second is, um, this is a question for our era, but awe helps with this. How will you be part? of the flourishing of our planet. We're shifting in the fight against climate crises to more hope. Our podcast just has a series out, hundreds of thousands of listeners, climate, hope, and science. We're in the midst of great e- re- energy revolutions right now. Wow, how will you be part of that? Uh, one of you mentioned rhythm. Who will you move with together? Where will you find that collective feeling? Sports fans, dance? Politics, marches in the streets, right? Where will that be? Who will you find that with? Um, I, uh, it was so great to get a sense of the arts here. You know, what films and music and novels and art will really teach you something? When I was your age, I was lucky enough to go to the Louvre, and I saw the great Dutch masters of Vermeer and de Hooch, who you've probably heard of, The way they could capture the beauty of everyday life, I was not growing up in a place that had a lot of beauty of everyday life. It just blew my mind. It gave me hope, right? So look to the arts. And then, you know, Will and I were talking about this, but think about the big purpose of your life, what people used to call the soul, why you're here. Uh, And your experiences of all will tell you things about that, right? As you have them, you're in a great period of life where they're going to, when you go to college and beyond, you'll have a lot of awe experiences. Just listen to them. See what they're saying about you. Like, you may really like big data, or you may like being a lawyer and fighting for individual rights. Listen to those, where you get the goosebumps and where you feel awe, and it'll point you in that direction. Um, I write a lot about this in the book. Um, It is an honor to have the chance to talk to you a little bit about awe. And I very much look forward to your questions and what you have to say. So thanks a lot.
0: So we'll take some questions as we usually do. As always, just ask you, say your name, where you call home, and what grade you're in. Questions?
1: Yeah. Uh, Hi, I'm Mason. Hi, Mason. Like, young ability to find all. Yeah, that is a question of our era. Um, and um, I um, have done a lot of work at Google and Facebook when it was Facebook and not Meta um, and Pinterest. And, and in many ways, technology is the best and worst of times for young people and all. On the upside, um, it gets you access to things that previous generations didn't have access to. You know, music from around the world, art from around the world, knowledge from around the world. Your generation is the smartest generation in human history, and don't let anyone tell you that. It's called the Flynn effect uh, in economics, which is people, ha- you're- people have been getting smarter, which is good to know. Um, and and technology's part of that, right? You can find stuff that, uh, and I think chat GPT or whatever will be game changing. Uh, and yet, at the same time, it's the worst of times Like, can you find awe looking at something that big? Not really, you know. Uh, I think the data are pretty bad about that. Um, Does Instagram bring you awe? That's not looking too good. Um, So there are a lot of reasons why technology is an enemy of awe. So it's, it's, as they always say in that literature, you've got to use it wisely. And good question. Yes? Yeah, you know, the, question um, yeah, the question is this moving in unison, and this is an interesting one because, you know, it happens all over the place and people don't even know it, right, so you go to a wedding, you guys will be 10 years from now, I know this scares you, actually maybe 12 years from now, a lot of you will be going to weddings a lot, you know, like, oh my God, I'm getting married, you know, uh, and you all move into unison on the dance floor, rituals are moving in unison, cheers at sporting events, Um, and for the most part, people sync up with people of different ages pretty quickly. Uh, Really old people probably is going to be a different pattern. There are studies showing nine-month-olds will sync up with adults just like that when they hear music, so it's this deep tendency to move in unison, and I think a lot of people looking at Western European American culture would say we need more intergenerational moving in unison to give, give us a sense of community, so it's a great question. Yes? Hang on a sec. We'll go down here, and then we'll go up to you. <laughs> I didn't point clearly. Down there. Yes, you. Oh, okay. oh, Margo. Margo. you so the question is, can? can the that cause you all yeah. So Mar- Margo, you said? Margo's question is a great one, which is, can the things that cause you awe also cause you pain or horror, right, or terror? And the answer is yes, right? For some people, you might see a complicated medical condition and feel um, pain or terror. For a medical doctor, they might think of it as the wonders of the human body and what medicine can do. So that's one of the complexities in studying emotion is... The same thing can produce really different emotions in people. Some people will hear, you know, a certain strain of music, really loud metalhead music, and they're like, ah, that's uh, that's an assault, and other people find it awe-inspiring. And so that poses a challenge and speaks to the variety of human uh, experiences in response to the same thing. So we always try to figure that out. Yes, up here. Yeah, that's a terrific question. What's your name? Uh, Ethan. Ethan. So Ethan's question is it's a <laughs> What did you say there was Your name's not Ethan? No. He's what? Tenth grade. Tenth grade. OK. That's right. Here the younger people get they rise up in the ranks like this, so. Uh, um, Ethan's question is an old question. It's a question. Are any of you meditating or doing a little bit of mindfulness? Or what? <laughs> or not? Or you're tired of it? It's hard to teach high schoolers <laughs> mindfulness. I know it's, um, but it's a it's a deep question in studies of consciousness and meditation. And another one is, you know, um, if you're an athlete, is it good to be aware of your feelings or not? Um, and on balance, Ethan, the the research shows, you know, as you develop awareness of emotions through things like inside out and language and uh, meditation and the like, um, you, you are, have more power within those emotions, right? You have a sense of control and agency within the emotion, uh, and you enjoy its benefits more. One of the places that's best demonstrated, important for you guys to know, is anxiety. If you have experiences of anxiety or our or friends are having it, the more you have awareness of it and can kind of track it in the moment, the more control and ease you have during that experience. So on balance, uh, it's an old question philosophically. Awareness helps you in the world of emotion. Other questions about awe, inside out? Yes. i What can you tell us about out two? <laughs> I was talking uh, inside out two is coming like in a year from now, or 15 months, um, and it, uh, it's going to be, you know, Riley I think will be 13 or 14, and she's going to be struggling with harder emotions, um, like anxiety, um, and I think they really wanted to take on, you know, your culture, like a lot of pressure on you guys, um, how can we build a movie that will give us some wisdom about all the pressures you face, and maybe shift things a little so i think it's going to be it's going to be a big deal so in a good moment for all of you to be thinking about our culture yes nice like that line all or,
0: like,
1: it being what a terrific question what's your name <laughs> Charlotte? Charlie. Great question, right? Um, I've just told you awe is really good for you. A lot of data bear that out, right? But can you have too much awe? Can you have too much laughter? Right? Laughter tends to be good for us. It makes things lighthearted, but can you have too much? Here's a really interesting one. Do you think you can have too much compassion? Well, how, how would you suggest that's the case? Yeah. Uh, if you're always a for others, you will never for yourself. Nice. Interesting, isn't it? Compassion. Most of the ethical traditions believe compassion is a key to the ethical life, but there's actually a genetic syndrome. I think it's called Williams syndrome. You're born with a certain genetic profile, and you feel compassion for everything, and it's bad for your health, right? It, it gets you out of balance. So to your question, with those examples as a backdrop, um, you know, I think the the thinking in the science of well-being and happiness is, anytime you're on the extremes and you have too much of an emotion, or too little, right? You don't feel awe at anything, or you feel awe 50 times a day, and it's like, man, you brush your teeth—that's awesome, you know—and oh my God, you're putting on your right shoe after the left. Ah, you know, uh, probably not going to function well in the world, um, and that's basically true in in the the field is you want moderate levels of these emotions, or or, uh, a lot of them. And then, you know, for those of you who love philosophy, Aristotle called it his principle of moderation. We want all of the talents of humanity, but in the right place, to the right degree, and in the right way. We don't want to be always expressing all. We want good, healthy, moderate degrees. Good question. Yes? Oh. What is the greatest thing about teaching awe uh, or teaching, what you teach? teaching awe or psychology? Psychology. Yeah. The greatest thing, thank you for asking that. That's a really kind question. Um, the greatest thing in teaching uh, psychology is uh, you, you guys, you know, and uh, so, psychology. <laughs> and any teacher who's been around for a while will say it's true because you know what, what psychology gives you the chance to do, Will and I were talking about this, psychology, and I hope you all take psychology when you go to college, it's a growing major, uh, it has a ton of data science in it. I was talking to the, this, the group of students tonight over dinner, data science is coming, it's going to run the world for about 10 years. Um, psychology is very much in the mix of it it's a great field you know there are a lot of mysteries to it but I think psychology uh, when you teach it to young people it's, it basically does it, it says like how do you want to live a meaningful life right you all many of you will most of you will make enough money most of you will have really good careers most of you will have good lives but what, what's really going to matter to you and I think psychology does that well uh, and I love, you know, I've taught for 30 years, uh, 31 years, 27 at Berkeley, and I still bump into people in the streets. They're like, maybe they've had too many beers or whatever. And they're like, man, i got to hug you. I don't remember your name, but I love your class, you know. And, uh, and it just, you know, just to teach somebody one thing to live a good life is, is worthwhile. And it stays in, and I stay in touch with young people. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, uh, my name is not Charlie. Okay. Part of the Narchal Nart Charlie Not Charlie name club. My name is Damian, and I'm a senior. I'm also from Virginsburg. Um, most things are considered the opposite. The opposite of happy really So what would you consider the opposite of all? What amazing question. Everything has its opposite, right? Matter and antimatter. What is the opposite of all? What would you guys say? Indifference? Indifference? Boredom? Dread? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's, you know, you can make the argument for a couple things, like boredom and meaninglessness. Have you guys heard of, like, anomie, nothing means anything? The philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, when he had this existential crisis, looked at a tree, he's like, the world is meaningless. Nothing has any meaning in it. And awe is all about meaning. So that would be one guess. Uh, horror It's kind of an interesting opposite to awe, isn't it, right? Like things that are really horrifying are almost the opposite of things that are uplifting and mysterious. What a terrific question. What do you think? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it has a, a different emotional tone. Yes. You. You're going to have to speak up a little. <laughs> I missed the last part too. It's, I compared to the meaning of life and? Do you meaning of life? Yeah, this is what I love about awe. When, um, when you're my age, right, 61, and you've been through a lot, you will, you're like, what, have, what do these awe experiences teach you? And for me, I, so awe experiences taught me that I care a lot about justice, right? And so I got to work on a case against solitary confinement. I worked in prisons in restorative justice. I'm working with a home in Oakland, California, Bay Area Freedom Collective that helps people transition out of prison, and I was like, why am I doing all this work? Because it gives me awe, and it's about justice, right? And then I look at my mom, and I'm like, man, she cares about justice too. So awe points you to some theme in life that really matters to you. And for me, it's justice and and kindness. Yeah? Yeah, thank you. Um, One of the um, things you guys should... Uh, you know, you, you want your careers to, and we, one of the things, one of the ways that we define meaning in your life is coherence. It's, it sort of makes sense collectively as a story. And um, as I write about in this book, um, I grew up raised in a childhood of awe, you know, My mom taught literature and romanticism and poetry. My dad was a visual artist and painted like Goya. I don't know if you've looked at Goya's wild paintings. Um, I grew up in the late 60s, the 1960s, very wild, awe-filled time. I grew up in a little part of LA, Los Angeles, called Laurel Canyon, where a lot of rock and roll was happening. I grew up in a really awe-filled moment and I, um, I, my mom and dad were pretty wild, I have to confess. Uh, they spouted all kinds of wild stuff that I didn't believe. You should not believe your parents either. Uh, and I was kind of always good at math and science, and my dad was an artist, and my mom taught literature. And I was like, these guys are always wrong. I'm going to do science to prove them wrong, right? Uh, and so, <laughs> so I ended up, you know, it was just natural for me to become more of a scientist type but then to return to my childhood and figure out what awe means and why it's important to people and why we need more of it in our culture, which I think we do. So the point for you is, you know, as you choose your majors and careers and and the like, keep an eye on on what really mattered to you as a child and, and how there's coherence in that. Two more questions. Yes. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, So the question is about what is the profile of someone who feels a lot of awe? Um, And we haven't learned a lot about that, but what we have learned um, is they tend to kind of practice openness to the world rather than reducing the world, putting the things in the world into boxes and tight labels and the like. They're kind of more open, they embrace mystery. They like things where there aren't answers to them, right? A lot of fields you'll go into don't have a lot of answers. Uh, And so they have this profile of, like, just wondering about things and being open. Uh, So that was sort of what we have to say. Do you have a hypothesis? Yeah, we, this is a really young science, and we don't know. We don't know if awe is more common in Minnesota than Wisconsin or, you know, amongst, you know, in <laughs> East Asia versus Western European countries. We don't know. Uh, so we'll learn in, in the next uh, few years. Final question. What's true specifically to the study of awe? Like yeah, I, I like awe because, as Einstein said, you know, when you really... Think about really great human achievement, like the good work that we do in the world, often awe inspires it. So Charles Darwin really grasped his theory of evolution out of an awesome dream. He had this dreamlike experience waking up and he saw an ecosystem and understood evolution. Uh, A lot of great music and art and writing comes out of awe, right? So I thought, what a great place to, to study where humans really do good things for the world is to figure out this emotion. So I hope it does a little bit of good for you guys in all the good work you do. Make the world better. I have faith you will. And have fun while you're doing it. So thanks a lot.